Lord, we thank you for who you are, God, that you are awesome and you are great. Lord, our hearts this morning are fixed on you. Father, speak truth into our life. Lord, that's why we are here. Father, that you can change us and mold us into the person that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we worship the Lord together? All right, now we we learned this one twice before, but we're going to sing it one more time, nice and slow, just to make sure that we're getting it down. It is a little fast, so we sing it slow. We make sure that we have it down before we get going any farther. It goes, and I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. Gets better every time, let me tell you. And I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I once was blind. I could not see, and chains of sin had shackled me. But God in heaven heard my plea, and Jesus, Jesus rescued me. And Jesus, Jesus rescued me. And I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. Now grace so sweet, it floods my soul And hope eternal won't let go My daddy raised in Calvary And Jesus, Jesus rescued me And Jesus, Jesus rescued me I will sing forever of your love Come down with my hands to heaven Shout your praises loud I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out I will sing forever of your love Come down Well there's a home beyond the sky a song we'll sing for all of time the grave is empty i am free jesus jesus rescued me jesus jesus rescued me and i will sing forever of your love come down with my hands to heaven shout your praises loud i was lost in darkness when you pulled me out i will sing forever of your love come down and i will sing forever of your love come down with my hands to heaven shout your praises loud i was lost in darkness when you pulled me out i will sing forever of your love come down amen that's a good one to get your, your blood moving in the morning and that the, the Lord's love has come down for us. What an amazing, the words are just so good. It gets me every time. In this time of desperation, when all is dark,
There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation When all is dark you help us see there is only one salvation We believe, we believe We believe in God the Father We believe in Jesus Christ We believe in the Holy Spirit And He's given us new life We believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again we believe so let our faith be more than anthem greater than the songs we sing and in our weakness and sensations we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again we believe let the lost be found let the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now let love invade let the church live loud our god will say we believe we believe and the gates of hell will not prevail for the power of god has torn the veil now we know your love will never fail we in God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ we believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again we believe You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone. You are God alone From before time began And you are on your throne And you are God alone And right now In the good times and bad And you are on your throne And you are God alone You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and your praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God, that's just the way it is. 
You are God alone From before time began And you are on your throne And you are God alone And right now In the good times and bad And you are on your throne you are God alone. You're unshakable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. And you are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good signs and bad, you are on your throne you are God alone Father we ask that whatever we're going through in our life help us to cast our cares on you because you are the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end May we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if you would grab your prayer sheet, I would like to uh, make reference to uh, at least one person this morning. You know, it's always good to pray for people, but then it's also good to know uh, how God has answered our prayers. And I was talking to Tom Weaver just this morning. And uh, he was in for a doctor appointment. You know that he was having some eye issues, but the doctors do believe uh, that they're going to be able to restore his sight to 2040 in the bad eye, which is anyone would accept that, uh, having been what Tom has been through. So uh, that's a real answer to prayer. So keep praying for Tom, and uh, we're just thankful, and we'll praise God this morning for uh, just a wonderful Wonderful answer to prayer. Pray, continue to pray for those who have recently lost loved ones. We know, uh, you know, the struggles and the pain that follows uh, funerals. So uh, we want to uh, pray for those folks as well. Father, as we come before your throne, we are thankful that, Lord, that's where you sit, in complete control, as you rule, as you reign. As you govern, Father, you are the sovereign God. You are a God, Lord, who is above all things. You are the great creator. You, Father, are the almighty. And so as we approach your throne, Father, we acknowledge that we are speaking to someone who is great, someone who is awesome, someone who is sovereign, and yet, by the same token, Lord, you have welcomed us into your presence. You have allowed us to call you our Father, because we are your children through your Son. And we thank you for that. That, Father, you're not just transcendent somewhere out there, but, Father, you're very close and intimate. So as we approach your throne, we come with confidence with great boldness, knowing, Lord, that you will hear and are hearing. We are thankful this morning, Lord, for your son. Lord, this is a day that has been dedicated to the remembrance of Jesus Christ. Father, we have come today to remember what he has done for us on Calvary's cross. Lord, in a few moments, we will come to the table, the Lord's Supper, and we will visually remember what you have done for us in the bread and in the cup. Father, we're thankful for this day. This is a special day. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to focus on 
what Jesus has done, that finished and completed and perfect work on the cross. Father, we know that there are some who now are going through some difficult times. Father, we look at our list and we certainly want to remember these, Lord, who are dealing with great things, physically, emotionally. And so, Father, we bring them before you this morning. We pray for those who are suffering grief as a result of the loss of a loved one. Lord, you said that you would comfort in these times, bring great peace that passes all understanding. Father, we know that you have answered prayer on behalf of Tom Weaver. We are thankful this morning for the doctors who are saying that he will receive his sight. It may not be perfect, but Father, he's willing to accept at this point any sight and be able to see things that might not have been able to, he would not have been able to see before. So we're thankful, Lord, that you have been gracious and merciful to Tom. And we pray that you would continue uh, to bless him and continue to give him sight. Father, I think of others like Gene Miller who are going through some very difficult times right now. And Dave, Lord, who we've been praying for for quite some time. Lord, for these who, uh, Father, we just need to bring once again before the throne of grace. Asking that, Lord, you would be good to them and merciful and just do a mighty and, and wonderful work. Father, we pray for Darlene Siders, who is going to be going through and may even be going through already uh, cardiac rehab. We pray that you would restore her to, to good health. Father, for those who would love to be able to join our congregation this morning, the Road Caps and Ralph and Lord others, Lord, who just are not able to be here. Father, we pray that you might minister to them right where they are. Again, Father, we're thankful that we can bring before you folks who we love. Father, you have given to us a ministry, and that is to bear one another's burdens and to intercede on behalf of one another. And Father, we've done that already, and we're thankful, Lord, that you've given to us that intercessory work to be able to cast the burdens of others upon you, knowing how much you care for them. We pray now, Lord, that you might be glorified and honored in, in, in all that we do. Father, I pray that our time of fellowship, our time of singing, our prayers, the sermon, as we gather around your table, all of these things might bring a smile to your face and you might look down upon us with your favor. Father, may you be pleased in what we do and the things we say. And we will give praise and honor to your Son. And it's in his name that we come. Amen. Amen. Now, if you'd stand up once again, please, and turn to someone and greet them. Tell them how glad you are that you're sitting beside them.
I'll ask you to stand with me as we turn to hymn number 236 on a hill far away. Stand with me and we sing this, and then those in junior church can be dismissed. <clears throat> was a church that had a very, very unusual ritual uh, that they performed every Sunday. Every Sunday they went through this ritual before they sang the doxology. They would sing each Sunday morning the doxology and then they would uh, perform this ritual. What happened was everyone would stand 
and they would turn to the right and they would face a big white blank wall and then they would sing. Well, there was a visitor sitting in the pew one day and said to some of the members, why do you do that? Well, most of them said, just what we do. We've always done it that way. Some had no idea in the world why they did it. They just did it. Until he came to an older man who's been in the church for many, many years. And he said this. He said, way, way back, there was a day when we didn't have hymnals. And so on that wall, they would put the words to the doxology. And we would all stand and turn and we would sing the words on that wall. But over the years, the words faded. We painted the wall white. Now no one knows why they do what they do. Why do we come to this table this morning? Why do we come to the Lord's table four times a year? Why will we come in just a few moments? And the men will join me and they'll pass out the plates. And you'll hold in your hand a little bread cube and a cup filled with grape juice. Why do we do what we do in this church? That's the question we want to answer this morning. And in a nutshell, this is the reason. We come to this table to remember the death of Jesus, His resurrection, and His promised return. And we do it through the bread and through the cup. Jesus has given to us a visual, a picture, in order that we never forget what he did for us on the cross. I would ask you to turn to one of the very classic passages found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul deals at length with communion. And we're going to get to in just a moment the reason why he does that. Why does Paul take almost a chapter to deal with the Lord's Supper? Well, let's read first, starting at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have, been, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead and, uh, with your own private suppers. As a result... One person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning, 
with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directives. Paul deals at great length with the Lord's Supper. And the reason he does is mentioned here in the opening verses that I just read, beginning at verse 17. You see, there was an error in the church. There was a problem in the church in Corinth. The Corinthians, they had a lot of issues that Paul had to deal with. But one of the primary differences was they had divisions among them. We find that all the way back in the opening chapter of this book. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul deals with those divisions in a different matter. He says in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And the obvious answer, of course, is no. Christ is not divided, but the body of Christ in Corinth is divided. Now that's what's taking place back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There were divisions. There were cliques. There were factions taking place within the church in Corinth. Now when I was growing up in high school, uh, we had, I suppose, cliques and divisions and factions as well. There was a group that called themselves jocks. There were the preps. There were the rednecks. There were the cheerleaders. And we even had hippies. Now, some of you have no idea what a hippie is. But we had at least one I know in our class that actually made the post, made the magazine, the national magazine back in the 60s. Well, Paul is dealing with divisions. He's dealing with these cliques that are found within the church. He says in verse 18, in the first place I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. There are divisions among you. What was interesting is that what accompanied the Lord's Supper was an agape feast. Agape means love. There was a love feast that they would participate in And oftentimes it would be before the actual communion service. And they would get together. And we know what it would be like because we do a lot of potlucks in this church. That's what the love feast was. It was bring and share. You bring your favorite item and you share it with all the rest. And you do it quite well. We do it quite well in this church. We have potlucks and we bring our dessert item or a meat item or a, and we share it with one another well that was what was supposed to take place during this agape feast they were to bring and share the problem was that there were a lot of rich and a lot of poor and the rich would bring all their great and wonderful food and the poor oftentimes could hardly bring anything But what the rich were doing is they were becoming gluttons and drunkenness and falling into drunkenness because they wouldn't share with the poor. We brought the good food and we're going to eat the good food. And we don't care if the poor go home hungry. And Paul says, what kind of love is that? That you wouldn't even share a meal with your brothers and sisters. And this was the issue that Paul is hearing about in the Corinthian church. 
This is the background of why he had to deal with this matter. A lot of these Corinthians, they had bad attitudes. Attitudes of discrimination. Attitudes of selfishness. Attitudes of gluttony. Certainly, little love existed between many within the church. And Paul had to deal with that. Paul was not a man who could just let things go. Paul said, I heard about these things. I heard about what is taking place in the church, and I must deal with it. And he does. And then he goes on to say, in point number two, that the communion service Jesus started. Jesus is the one who started it all. Now, when I say that, I don't mean to sound like a little kid out in the playground and said, he did it, he started it, nah, 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 nah. That's not what I'm, you know, I'm not saying that about Jesus, but communion originated with Jesus. He began the Lord's Supper. And it all started on the night, it says, in which he was betrayed. Communion, the service that we're going to have in just a moment, is rooted in history. It's rooted in history. There was a certain man on a certain night that began the Lord's table. It was the night in which Jesus was betrayed. If we think back to the earlier in the Gospels, and we can imagine Jesus on that night, the Bible says he was in a place, a garden called Gethsemane, and there in this garden called Gethsemane, Judas, one of his disciples, had prearranged to bring the authorities to the garden. They came with their swords, they came with their clubs, and Judas said, I will identify Jesus by kissing him on the cheek. And Jesus was in the garden, his disciples were praying, and he was praying. And here comes Judas with the authorities, with their swords and with their clubs. And Judas kisses Jesus, betraying him. It was on that night in which Jesus took bread. It was on that night in which Jesus took the cup. The service that Jesus was involved with and participating in took place before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read that he took the bread and we read that he took the cup. You see, you see they were already sitting down for supper. They were already reclined around the table, participating in what is one of the greatest Jewish festivals that they observe annually called the Passover. Jesus and his disciples were actually reclining around the table enjoying the Passover meal. What is the Passover all about? Why were they celebrating Passover? Well, we would have to go back to the book of Exodus uh, to understand what the Passover was. This annual celebration, this annual feast of the Israelites that they never missed. It was always on their calendar. Back in the book of Exodus, uh, you recall uh, the Israelites were in bondage. They were slaves to Pharaoh of Egypt. And God one day says, okay, they had, they've had enough discipline. Uh, they've been punished enough. It's time now for the Israelites to go back to the promised land. And so Moses was spoken to by God in that burning bush. And Moses said, God said, Moses, I want for you to be the one who will lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And you know what Pharaoh's reaction was. There ain't no way. I've got free slaves in my land. I've got forced labor. I've got all these things, projects going on. And so God, and you don't mess with God. You know that. You don't thwart the purposes of God. And so God begins to send plagues 
gnats, flies, water turning into blood, hail, boils, all of these things, and Pharaoh still will not let, his, let the Israelites go. And finally, on the 10th plague, that is the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally says, go. But Moses gives instructions to the Israelites on that night in which they will be delivered. And we read the account back in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, we read this account. Uh, listen as I read. In Exodus 12, 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. You see, the last plague was the killing of the firstborn. Of all of those in Egypt, except Moses gave instructions to the Israelites that if you kill a lamb and you take the blood from that lamb and you put that blood on the door frames, on top and sides, when the angel comes down past your house and sees that blood, the death angel will pass over you. Thus the name pass over because the angel would pass over the house because that would be a sign that an Israelite is in that house and so on this night in which the Israelites would be delivered they are to eat their lamb inside that house the angel comes by sees those homes in which the blood has been placed and passes over and it says back in Exodus that this is to be now a, an annual holiday, if you will. Every year, you are to celebrate your deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Jesus, his disciples, they sit down. And they sit down to enjoy the Passover meal. They sit down to remember back when the Israelites were freed from Egyptian bondage. And this is when it all started. This is when Jesus changed things. This is when Jesus is now going to begin the first supper. Point number three. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic reminder of Christ's death. Two times in this text in which I read, we read the words, in remembrance of me. In verse 24, the words of Jesus there start this way. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we jump down to verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. This is a memorial service. This is a service in which we come remembering what Jesus has done for us. I suppose we've all been a bit frustrated and embarrassed by uh, those times that we've forgotten things or maybe we've forgotten someone's name. Uh, maybe someone in church you go to greet and you know, each Sunday you say, oh man, I just can't remember her name. You know, I, I know uh, in Awana on Wednesday nights, there are so many little kids, these little boys and little girls come, and there's so many of those who I've seen week after week, I should say year after year, 
And I still look at them and I say, oh, man, I should just remember that name. So I started to do something that I used to do in seminary, to remember things. I would draw little pictures. Imagine being in seminary and you're drawing these little cartoon pictures to remember some doctrine or some theological point. Um, I, I used to do it, you know, and then I could, I had a, a word, I had a picture in my mind of, of the answer to that question. But anyway, there's this one little girl on Wednesday nights, her name is Candace. You know her if you're in Awana. Uh, blonde hair, big ponytail, almost like a pony, real thick hair. And I could never, ever remember her name. So I said, can dish, can dish, dish with a can on top. Every time, every time I look at Candace, I see her wearing this dish with a can on top. And I will never, ever forget her name. And you know what? You won't either now. Some of you who forgot her name on Wednesday nights, you're going to look at her and you're going to think you'll see her with a can on top. There's another little girl on Wednesday night. I said to Joe, I said, Joe, because I see her every week. I said, what is her name again? Who? That little girl wearing the little purple slacks. That's Jaden. Jaden Miller. I can never remember her name. So now, I think of a den, right? Like a lion's den with an opening with a J in it. So when I see her on Wednesday, I'll see her and I'll think of a den with a J. Jaden. I know it's crazy, <laughs> but it got me through seminary. <laughs> I mean, I would use those stupid little things all the time because it would help me to remember something that I just couldn't grasp or get a handle on. Jesus knows our minds. He knows what we forget. He knows that we don't always think about him and remember him. And so what Jesus did is he created a visual he created a picture of remembrance. And every time we eat and every time we drink, we see something. We touch something. We smell something. We taste something. And when you start to use all of those senses, you start to remember things that maybe you would have forgotten. It's, someone said it's a sermon without words about the cross. It's a sermon without words, and it's all about the cross. Jesus doesn't want us to forget. This supper is a memorial supper. It's a time when we think back of the time when Jesus died on the cross. So imagine the disciples now. You're, you're sitting down, you're reclining around the table, and uh, you're there with all the disciples. There's Jesus. Uh, he's also reclining. And it says that at some point during this supper, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And he says this. Remember, they're thinking they're here at a Passover meal. This is all new to them. Now, this isn't new to you because you, you know, you've heard sermons about communion before. But this is all new to them. This is the very first communion service. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them and says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he gives it to them and says, drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. Now, we believe in our church, not as some believe, that the actual bread is not the actual body of Jesus. Uh, some would say that, uh, but we believe when Jesus said, this is my body, he's saying, this represents my body, or this is symbolic of my body. You know, Jesus was there with them. He's holding the bread. It's not his real, actual, physical body. We believe that it represents his body, a broken body, a body that died on the cross. And the cup we believe that the cup, although not the actual physical cup, but the contents of it represents the blood of Jesus. And so we have grape juice, and we uh, believe that that represents, it's, it's symbolic 
of the blood of Jesus. Speaks here of a new covenant. Not unlike the old covenant, you know, where he, the, the, the author of the Hebrews says that the um, blood of animals was unable to take away sin. Where in the book of Hebrews it said the, 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 they had to keep coming back with their animals time and time again because they keep, kept needing to have their sins forgiven. But unlike the old covenant, Jesus, the Bible says, went to the cross once and died for the sins of the world. And this is what we are to remember. We, when we come to this table and we take the bread and we take the cup, we are to remember his body that was broken. The body that died on the cross for the sins of the world. The blood that was spilt on the ground from his physical body. The blood, the Bible says, that cleanses us from all sin. And now the Bible says that those who believe and trust in Jesus and all that he did on the cross, when you believe that with your heart of hearts, you will be saved. So we look back to the cross. He mentions also until he comes uh, there in verse uh, 26. So it also looks to the future at the promised return of Jesus. Now, before I look at verse uh, or point number four, let me just say something quickly about uh, this phrase, unworthy manner, in verse 27. Uh, the, the context is speaking about actions, not character. You need to remember that. We're not talking about character here as, oh, you're unworthy because our worth is found in Christ, right? Our, we're worthy to be able to come before this table because our worth is found in Jesus. He's talking about the manner, the unworthy manner in which some were eating at this agape feast. Right? It's behavior, it's conduct that is unworthy. And that's what he's speaking of. This self-centered, this discrimination that's taking place surrounding this Lord's table. And so he says, listen, you ought to just stop for a moment. And just examine yourself. Make sure that when you come to this table, you're coming reverently. Notice the phrase also, discerning the body of Christ in verse 29. I think other translations speak of recognizing the body of the Lord. Uh, commentators are not in agreement as to what the body of the Lord is. Is that his physical body? Uh, if it is, uh, then it means that when you come to this table, make sure you understand why you're doing what you're doing. That the bread does represent the body. This is not a mid-morning snack. But you're, the, the, the bread that you hold in your hand, it, it represents the broken body of Jesus. And the cup which you'll drink in just a moment, it represents His shed blood. The other uh, way of translating that or interpreting that, uh, the body of the Lord, is the church. We are the body of Christ, right? And many would, would say that what he's referring to here is the church being the body of Christ because that's the problem that the Corinthians were having. They were having a problem with each other. So when you come to this table, don't come out of fellowship with another believer. When you come to this table, you better have your heart right with one another. Finally, it's all about unity as well. Uh, it demonstrates the unity. I don't know if you noticed how many times as I read through this, it's kept saying, when you come together, you're coming together, you're coming together, you're coming together. You're the church. For crying out loud, you're the church. When you come together, you're to be united with one another. You ought not to be out of step with each other, out of fellowship. So the fellowship we have when we come to the table is vertical, certainly with God, but it's also horizontal with one another. Some of you remember the um, founding pastor of our church, Harry Raker. And um, Harry established, well, I don't know if he established a tradition, although I continue to do it we do continue to do it today. I guess it is a tradition. You know, tradition's good. Traditionalism, not so good, but tradition is good. 
And Harry, and this doesn't say you have to do this all the time, it's certainly not something you find in the Bible, but Harry, when the cup is passed and the bread is passed, he used to say, now we're going to hold the bread in your hand, hold the cup in your hand until everyone has been served, and then we're going to eat together and we're going to drink together, which signifies the oneness, and I believe that's the word he always used, in Christ. And that's true. We're a body. We're united. What is it that unites us? What is it that brings us together around this table? It's Jesus, of course. You know, my wife and I, we were down in Williamsburg not too long ago, and um, it's interesting when we go, we do a lot of people watching and a lot of pet watching. And um, we, of course, as you know, we've had golden retrievers over the years, four of them. And so when we see a golden retriever in Williamsburg, down on the historic, uh, on Gloucester Street, we will run across the street just to pet this golden retriever. So we met this couple sitting on a little bench, and they had a golden retriever right at their feet. And we, of course, we went over, and, and uh, they were telling us about this dog, how much they love this dog. And she said, um, we bought a Jeep, but the dog didn't like to ride in the Jeep, so we sold it. <laughs> they bought a mobile home that they pulled behind their truck so that they can take their dog with them everywhere they go. Now, I thought we loved golden retrievers, but, I mean, this couple was like over the top. But when we go to a golden retriever, we start to tell them we had four, and they, there's a bond. There's just something there. What is it that unites us? Jesus, right? Jesus is the bond between believers because we have all put our faith in Christ. And if you haven't, I would challenge you this morning to do so. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe in what he has done. Believe that he died on the old rugged cross as we just sang about. For the sins of the world. Acknowledging your sin and believing that Jesus came to forgive you. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we truly are a family. There's a song that I thought of as I was concluding my studies this week. And I'd like for us to sing it before we enter into our time of communion. It's hymn number 481. If you would turn there, please. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are 581, thank you. There are sweet expressions on each face. And I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Let's stand together, please. And then we'll have our time of communion. 581. Just two stanzas. Let's just start in. Let's just start in. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. And I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. 
without a doubt will know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. There are blessings you cannot receive till you know Him in fullness and believe. You're the one to profit when you say, I am going Jesus all the way. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet Heaven, come stay right here with us, filling us with your love. Blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I think I explained pretty well uh, what we're going to do in just a few moments. Uh, pretty well what the communion service is all about. The bread does represent, it is symbolic of 